0: Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. This sermon is titled, God's Blueprint to the Nations, Part 2, from Acts 14, 19-23, from Pastor Alton Hardy. Stand to your feet, please, in the Word of God, and turn to Acts, Chapter 14, and we're going to... God's Blueprint to the Nations... And Acts 14, starting with verse 19 to 23, should be in your bulletin up on the board as well. And then it's on page 1097. If you, um, you will need your pew Bible today to follow along. I will be reading some scriptures that will not be up on the board. And so um, make sure either you know your Bible very well and you can follow along on your phone or your Bible, but you will need a pew Bible today. So here we go. Verse 19 it says, "But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconia, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconia and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, I want to say every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. In my last sermon on this subject, God's Blueprint to the Nations, this is part two, so make sure you put that on the website so people can know, part two, God's Blueprint to the Nations. Um, I made some comments, but before I go on, this is just kind of a, um, there will be a part three to this, which I will complete next week, and then we'll kick off our June and July sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And so I'll be in and out here and there, but for the most part, you have um, the rest of the preaching team up here doing most of the preaching. And I'll try to rest my voice and all of that. But, But in my last sermon, I made the point that the local church is the best institution on earth, bar none, that God has ordained to address the spiritual the physical and the mental needs of his people. I told that story where I was speaking at a conference with family, I um, can't even think of what family something, families count with Lifeline. And I'm on the board and so they wanted me to speak about that and Lord really used the speaker in front of me to really affirm that. But we all know that the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, made up of people from every nation, every tongue, all the tribes, and people and languages across the world. Jesus, by his grace, is redeeming people. That's why we do missions. That's why we go, therefore, and make disciples to all the nations, all the ethnos. We go, and the Spirit works his way in. Some believe, some don't. We've discussed that before, and you're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. Why some believe and why some don't, I don't know. All I know, the Spirit goes here and there, as John says, and so it is with everyone who's born from above. They become a a living person. We don't know how that works. God's Spirit works in. It doesn't come from by the will of a man or the will of a mom. It's by the Spirit of the Lord himself that he opens the eyes of the blind. You should thank God for that, that your eyes were blind like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles 15 years ago. You know that. And You was headed to a hell, but now you're in church training to be a deacon, elder, and you say, man, how did that happen? How did that come about? God's amazing, amazing grace. That's how it came about. The church was In the mind of God before he ever created the earth. Revelation 13, 8 says, Jesus, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And this church thing, this bride thing, it was not something that God just kind of, oh, let me come up with this while I'm in the midst of it. (laughs) No, it don't work like that. It was in the mind of God before he even created the earth. You were in the mind of God. Before he even made the the foundations of the world. And God is very, very specific in how he talks about the church. He uses marriage terminology from Genesis to Revelation. And brothers and sisters, please hear me. And this is not by accident. Um, Empress told me I should make this a word and I probably will, so some of you yeah, Troy, you need to make me a shirt says osmosis (laughs) Empress told me that yes, Pastor, you need to make a shirt for that there is no osmosis in God nothing just happens just because he's a God of intent a God of purpose and so he uses this term marriage throughout the, the whole Bible From Genesis to Revelation. And you will see that. You will really see that next week. So you don't want to miss next week for sure. I brought this book. I had left it. Some of y'all saw me begins. Why the pastor heard it running in the back? This book right here called Typology: Understanding the Bible's Promise Shape Patterns. By James Hamilton Jr., one of my one of my, I got a lot of theologians, but definitely he's one of my favorites how the Old Testament expectations are fulfilled in Christ. In this book, he defines typology as God-ordained, Arthur-intended historical correspondence and escalation in significance between people, events, and institutions across the Bible, redemptive historical story. Lots of academia-type stuff, but bear with me. I'm going to try to put it in layman terms. He says that typology is not mere literary contrivance, nor is it a result of the imaginative creativity of either the biblical authors. meaning. They didn't just come up with this stuff. Let me sit down. I don't got nothing better to say. Moses said, I don't really know what to say, so let me just say this. No, they didn't contrive it. They didn't make it up. And it was not osmosis-generated. He says, but God ordained that the parallels would actually happen. And he also providentially ensured that the biblical authors would notice them. He wanted them to see them, observe them. And the Holy Spirit superintended the process so that the biblical authors rightly interpreted both history they observed in the earlier scriptures to which they had access. Not by accident, God put it in there. So, which leads me then to my first slide, because this is important, which is first, 2 Timothy 3.16. You can put this up on the board. So, I like to use the amplified version just because it just kind of helps me explain it to you. For those of you who may, may or may not be always reading the Bible. You love next week, but you don't read your Bible that much. So I'm messing with you already. But please forgive me. <laughs> I want you to read the Bible. but So here it is. All Scripture, not some, all Scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration. Whew, take a deep breath. because When I turn the corner, it's like, I don't know if God said that. See, that's what, and that's where we preachers get in trouble because we want to cherry pick. I can't cherry pick. This is why we like expository preaching here because I just can't skip over stuff because I don't like it. Now let me tell you, let me be totally transparent. There's stuff when I come across in the Bible, I don't necessarily like it. But we were just singing "Hosanna, King of Kings." That's that's the problem. He's king. I'm not king. <laughs> I'm not Dr. King. I'm not anybody's king. I'm just a man made by King King. <laughs> boss Boss. The one that Tim Keller and Dr. Reader was like, whoa! That's probably what they're saying. They're probably still shouting at each other. Whoa! Man, you see Jesus? Beard shaped up, looking nice. I told D, I don't think D, um, Jesus is in heaven. I don't think he's flabby gabby. I think he's nice and built. I think he's tidy up. I'm trying to get to where he is, and I go out there and pump three weights, and then I go eat some chips. (laughs) But all scripture is given by divine inspiration, and it is profitable for instruction. It instructs us for conviction of sin, for correction. It corrects us. Come back to that of what of error. And restoration to obedience. For training in righteousness. Learning to live in conformity. To God's will. Both publicly. And privately. Behaving honorably. With personal integrity. And moral courage. So. Next scripture. This is for me. For all those of you who want to preach. Next slide. So it says. Paul tell all preachers. If you want to be a preacher, you want to be a pastor. You believe the Lord has called you to preach the word of God. This is for you. This is this is a serious charge Paul gives to all those who desire to stand and proclaim the word of God. Here it goes. He says, "I solemnly charge you," I mean, this is in the presence of King God and of Christ Jesus, who's watching me right now. The angels got their pens out and they're taking good notes. They know how to write. They know how to spell. They know all the commas and the, the, the adverbs and verbs. They're pretty good. They're angels. They've been taught by God himself. They're not missing anything. So they're watching me. What I'm going to say today. So Lord, please help me say how you would say it. Um, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when the time is not. And that's right now here in America, it's not a pleasurable time to be preaching the word of God. Because you've got a lot of folks right now that want to arrest certain preachers for saying certain things. So you really got to stand on what you know. I keep telling Dion and Noah you probably will go to jail in a few years for preaching some of the stuff that we preach. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable. Whether convenient or inconvenient. Whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct those who err in doctrine. That's the hard part. Got to correct people in their thinking when it comes to this book. Because they want to change it up. And Pastor Hard, I don't like you talking about that. Well, I mean, that's part of being a pastor. I got to correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are Growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching, Paul says. He says, you got to do that. So here we go. Um, Well, the last time I preached, um, this was a couple weeks ago, this sermon here called God's Blueprint to the Nations. I gave a couple, I gave four takeaways from the text. The church is the... The only institution that God has ordained that meets all the needs of the people. I talked about nonprofits may do some things well, but some things they may not do. Like we talked about the demonic man, he was demon possessed. Well, most nonprofits I know, they don't even have a theology for the spiritual demonic world. They I don't know what to do with that. Well, see, we Christians, you come in here, you demon possessed. We elders gonna get together and we're gonna say, in the name of Jesus, we implore you to leave. I don't want to know your name. Just go, (laughs) go where you need to go. So you see, and I've had a few experiences with the demonic world. It's real. People are possessed by the devil, possessed by demons, evil spirits. You see it throughout the New Testament. Don't let it scare you, because we're Presbyterians. They really are. They do really exist. You open up doors for it through sexual sin, through drugs. Smoking weed all the time. They love the weed for some reason. That's why it smells so bad. They love that stuff. They love it when people put hair in their body. They come in there and they set up camp. They're real. So we talked about the church has to address the whole person. But in this text we talked about Paul says here In Acts 14, not Paul, but just what the Christians are doing here in the book of Acts. And so we see what happens. Well, the first thing, the four takeaways I said, the first thing they did was evangelism. And it says, and they preached the gospel to that city. The Greek word preached there is evangelizo, which means to preach, to do evangelism. So we said, share our faith. Talk to your neighbor. Speak to those on your right and your left. You have to share your faith. That's what they did. These people were not Christians when they got there. They became Christians after they heard the gospel. People don't become Christians by what? Please, Tori, get the shirt. <laughs> they became Christians after they heard the word of God. It was herald. It was preached. Then the second thing they said... And then they did what? It says, and they made many disciples. They gave their lives away. They sat with people. They met with them for breakfast, for lunch, noontime, whatever. They gave themselves away. We got to make room for people. You got to make that happen. You can't just say, well, because one day when you stand in front of Jesus, you're going to say, Jesus, you know what? (laughs) I just didn't have time. (laughs) And I can see Jesus going, he's going to wipe this ball like this. say, what? (laughs) You didn't have time. Oh man, I was chasing the money. Did you not read my text? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I was busy. Busy with what? <laughs> Did you not know I only give you a few years to live on that earth? Yeah, 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 Jesus, but I, I, you know, <laughs> that's how we Christians do sometimes. And that's why you need pastors to shake you out of that. No, no, no. You only got a few days on this earth. So Jesus says, make disciples. That's what he said when he left. And when when you're about ready to leave, you you want to use your words very wisely. He said, make disciples. And then the third thing we see here in the text that we see comes out of the text that the Holy Spirit reveals to us. It says here in verse um, 23, it says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So here's what we see. They planted churches in all the cities where they had gone. And the word of God says, they planted elders. And so I call this, they planted churches by establishing biblical leadership. And this is where um, I want to come back to. So when they have appointed elders for them in every church. This Greek word appointed means to formally appoint or assign someone to a particular task, to a point, to a sign. That's why you have Dion's an elder, Michael's an elder, Chad's an elder, EJ's not here, he's an elder, he's in New York with his wife celebrating her birthday, and then Patrick was up here, he's an elder. Men who meet certain qualifications. I'm gonna come back to that. Now, last time I made these statements, I didn't really give any scriptures behind them I made some at-lib kind of jokes or whatever the case may be. And I had a couple of people come to me and I said, wow, I said, yeah, I need to. And so I went and started praying about it. And I really just went through that part of the sermon really quickly because it was not my main point. But I do pray. I do have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus talks to me. And he, um, and the Lord keeps telling me over and over again, because I know a lot. So I'm assuming everyone knows what I know. Or have come to some faithful fidelity about what the Bible teaches. And Jesus keeps telling me, well, I don't know why you keep jumping ahead, Elton. You need to slow down and allow me to walk you. This church is very young. There are people coming in and they know very little about what you just said. And I'm going to hold you accountable, son. So stop it. That's how Jesus talks to me. You won't play around with this. You got to slow down and, 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 and watch what you're saying when you're up there preaching. Because I am not a joke. I'm very serious about this, Alton. And so the Lord keeps reminding me just can't assume everyone knows, understands, have even considered what the Bible actually teaches concerning leadership in the home and in the church. I just can't assume that. There are people coming in, and, and so I'm going to get into this. I says many of us have come from broken homes or some kind of abuse from fathers. Men, whether they were absent or present, you've seen the, the worst of it. We have seen our moms, grandmoms be abused, taken advantage of. Some may have saw your moms be doormats, no voice at all. Some saw your moms and grandmoms lead aggressively in the home, across the board, because the father was either lacking in confidence, both spiritually and economically, Or just because the mom took charge and never really cared about whether to submit to the husband. You see that? That's a a, a prevalent thing right now. Boss lady. You know, Ayanna was interviewing this lady. Said, would you marry the bus driver? said, if he owned the bus. She's like, I I ain't marrying no regular bus driver. Ain't no nine to five working at at, at Amazon. I ain't marrying that kind of guy. So it's a different kind of group of women out there now. You know, so... Y'all are like, whoa, okay. <laughs> all right, Ebony. <laughs> and I put here in my notes some of us have been raised up in homes and in environments where there was no biblical masculine sacrificial servanthood at all. You've not really seen that. Let me say that again some of us have been raised up in homes and environments. But there was no biblical masculine sacrificial servanthood at all, ethical. We see very little strong, we have seen very little strong ethical male teachers in the urban environment. You go up to Fairfield High School, all you'll hardly see any man. That's the first thing you notice. From the administrative to the school, no man. Zero especially not biblical strong men. So we haven't seen strong men, masculine men at the home or school. And let's be totally honest. And a lot of times, sad to say, we've not even seen them at church. So therefore, we bring to this subject matter of biblical leadership in the church, in the home, lots of confusion lots of hang-ups, lots of objections, and our own human sinfulness, and because of the current culture oppressing us with demonic doctrines that directly oppose the very word of God. I mean, I, you know, this is just, I'm like, they're literally trying to tell us that a man can have a baby, to be pregnant. There's a woman being arrested because she said, No, a man can't have no baby. They're arresting her. Let that sink in. Me pregnant? <laughs> and I'm not laughing. That's, I mean, you gotta let I me. Mean, we have gone mad. So I, we bring to this subject matter all kinds of hang I understand that's in the room. Please, I'm not trying to downplay that. I know that's there. I know that's there. And so back again to Romans 12.2, the quoted, I quoted it again. Well, I quoted it in the beginning. Paul says in Romans 12.2, he says, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs but be transformed by the progressively change as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what is the will of God. What the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So, Transitioning. Some questions to lead us in the rest of the sermon. I'm not going to get to all this today. It's going to be a part two, part three. Here we go. Questions to help lead us in the sermon today. Who should lead in the home and in the church? That's a great question. Yeah, who should lead in that? Does God speak into that? Is that just kind of up in the air? Who should lead? Does the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation speak into this question? Another great question. Does the Bible, is it silent? Doesn't say anything. We just all got to kind of figure it out. So I want you to keep that question in mind. Does the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books, does it speak into it? Do men and women have different roles as it relates to the home in church? God's silent on that. Those are great questions, man, because I know when I came into church, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. We want to ask those questions. And here's the fourth, last question I want to lead us with this. Does it really matter? Does it really matter who leads in the home and in the church to God? Does it really matter? Does 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 it really matter? That's a good question. Is God really that uptight About whether or not those things are done according to which I will flesh out here in the next couple of weeks. Does it really matter? And so, where I want to come at the last question, I'm to, it's the only one I'm going to address today. Does it really matter whether we get it wrong or right? And I want us to really sit with this because. Um, um, Because I know I'm going to have to stand in front of Jesus so I want to make sure the Lord, I just want to make sure I'm reading your Bible correctly. I want to make sure I'm in step with what his church history has taught. I want to make sure that I'm not I don't want to find myself standing over here against Augustine, Paul, Peter, James, John, Moses, Calvin, Luther, all the church reformers and then I'm just because I'm 56 with a little gray beard that I figure it out and they can't figure it out. I don't want, I mean, I, I mean I'm smart, but I ain't that smart. Sure. I just want to make sure it's a God, because but if I'm wrong and they all had it wrong too, then help me to see it the way that you really want it to be seen. Because I'm good with that. All right. In the world of theology. We have two theological views in this world that we call in in theology world. One is called, I wanted to have it up on the board today, but I forgot to do it. So y'all can actually see the word. I'm just going to have to quote it to you. It's called complementarianism. Complementarianism. That's the one theological word. This word means... Um, Complementarianism stresses that although men and women are equal in personhood, they are created for different roles. That's what the word complementarianism means. And then you have the other theological view in in, in the theological world. It's called egalitarianism. This word means it agrees that men and women are equal in personhood, but it holds that there are no Gender-based limitations on the roles of men and women. So, what a man can do, a woman can do. So, this is where you'll see. Um, in some churches, you'll go, and there are women pastors or women elders. That's what they're saying. They're saying um, we hold to the egalitarian view, and so therefore, there are no distinctions on what. And you're announcing, Graham. You saw this where you. You know, it was hard to do weddings there because there was, you really couldn't even quote Ephesians 5. Because there was like, uh uh-uh. uh, <laughs> that headship, no, 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 no. That, that was very frowned upon. So, because egalitarian says there is no headship, there is no kind of whatever, <laughs> what, I don't know, I'm even hard to even explain. It's just, and I, when I was in Grand Rapids, it was getting to the point where a lot of the wives would not even take on the husband's name no more. So it was like, nah, don't want that. Keep my name, you keep yours. It was a lot of hyphenated names. So and I was like, wow, I just, you know I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a Gen X dude, so I was still kind of like, well, this is new to me. And so here it was. But when you read the Bible in itself, on the word complementarian and egalitarian, you will not find it in the Bible. You won't see that word. It's, it's what, just reading it. It's objectively what we see. You either complimentary, we didn't compliment each other, uh, Eve to Adam, etc. cetera. And then you don't see the word egalitarian in, in, in there neither. So we just those are, so I want you to say, well, Pastor Hurst, is that word in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. So here again, let me ask the question again. Does it really matter? who leads in the home and church. And here's when I want to add a caveat to this question. Are there consequences if we get it wrong? There are consequences if we put a woman pastor up and Jesus has said no. Are there consequences to that? There are there consequences to a woman leading the house Keep in the back of your mind. Alright, so all we have is the word of God. So I told you, you grab your Bible because we're now going to turn into a few scriptures. And I gotta I gotta hurry up here. I want to make sure because I wanna make sure I flesh this out. So when God gave Moses first five books of the Bible, the plans on building off the tabernacle in the wilderness, when he brought the people out of Egypt, he had them um, build a tabernacle, a place where they can go and gather for worship before the temple was built by um, David with King Solomon. But when God gave the plans on the buildings of the tabernacle in the wilderness, and I mean, this is why I want you to read the Bible. He prescribed in details who should perform what duties as it related to certain responsibilities. It was not just left up to whoever decided to do it. God prescribed it to the details. That's why when you go back and read the book of Leviticus, you see this, this God who's intricate and involved. He's, he's not aloof, he's prescribing. It wasn't up to who Moses can choose. God, oh, let me choose my buddy. No, it wasn't that kind of a party. God said, oh, no, 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 no. That's why it goes back to typology. All of these patterns were being pointed to Jesus. And so God wanted Moses to know you can't live this. This is serious kingdom business. You don't get to choose. You do what I tell you to do. Down to every detail of that tabernacle as well as that temple. And so Yahweh was very clear. He was very clear. And so I had my notes here, but they got lost. So turn to Numbers chapter 3, which is page um, 130. Actually, 129 in the Pew Bible. We're going to be in Numbers here for a minute. So i got to hurry up and get done because I want to read a lot of scriptures. So here it says, numbers chapter 3 pew bible page 129 these are the generations of aaron and moses at the time when the lord spoke with moses on mount sinai these are the names of the sons of aaron nadab firstborn abihu and Eleazar and itmar these are the names of the sons of aaron the anointed priests whom he ordained to serve as priests But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children, so Eleazar and Ithmar served as the priests in the lifetime of Aaron the father. Verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, which is the Levites, the book of Leviticus, is the priesthood, and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him and among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine, own The day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own, all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and both of beasts; They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, list the sons of the Levi by fathers, houses and by clans. Every male from the month old and upward, you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord, as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi, by their names, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershom. So I'm going to start with verse 17. So you see that. So these Levites, by the call and the will of God, they've been set aside to take care of all the items of worship in the tabernacle as well as in the temple. Now go over to chapter 4, page 131, and look at verses um, 14 to 15. Um, you can see at the head of chapter 4, it says the duties of the Kohites, the Gershonites, and the Maronites. But look at verse 14 and 15, it says, And they shall put on, put it all, the utensils of the altar, which are used for the service there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, and the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of goat skin, and shall put it in the poles. Here it is, verse fifteen. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, because the tabernacle was not permanent. Until the temple was built. It was stationary. It it got up and moved. They had to do it all over again. So So God says, as they set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must, here it is, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. God says, now, they're the only ones who can carry all these items. I don't want anybody else touching them. Sons of Kohath. Nobody else. Which is part of tribe of Levi. So, go to Leviticus Chapter 9, and it'd be page 104. I want you to see something. Page 104 in Leviticus chapter 9. Started at verse 22. Help me, Lord, try to get through this. Leviticus chapter 9. Look at verse 22. It says And then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Verse 24. And fire came out from before the Lord. And he consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. The brazen altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So this is where God comes down, they've set the thing up, and then God comes and light this fire at the brazen altar. Now, look what happened here in chapter 10, the death of Nadab and Abihu. So I ask the questions, are there consequences when we don't do things according to what God has prescribed? That's the question on the table. Okay, let's read. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. And they laid incense on it. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. What's going on here? What fire? God had commanded them to only take fire from the brazen altar, which God himself had lit. And that fire was never to be gone out. So they decide, well, they ain't that big of a deal. Fire is fire. They thought probably. So they went somewhere else and got it. Came to light it. And God, I didn't tell you to take fire from any other place but from where I have commanded from the brazen altar. The fire that God lit himself. And that day, they died. It was unauthorized. Last story. Turn to page 304. This is um story of Uzzah. And I'm in here. 304, 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from them the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Verse 5 And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyrics and harps and tambourines. It's liars, I'm sorry, liars and harps and tambourines. And castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakam, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Watch this. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of what? Error. He wasn't even intended to do it. The ox just stumbled. But he reached out and touched it. And what did God tell Moses on the front end? Don't touch that. God says, and look what happens. Since David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, and David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, "How can the ark of the Lord come to me?" the Lord puts this in my heart: Are y'all, are y'all afraid of the Lord? Do you, do you? I think when I was when Ken was giving the exhortation, I said, "I, got, I don't know if your people really understand who you are." I don't, think we, I don't think we as humans sometimes understand who it is that we're worshiping. Our culture has, has, has got us thinking that we somehow are equal with God. David was a man after God's own heart, and the Bible says, and he was afraid. God is not missing his words. When he say don't do something, he's not. Oh, you think this a joke? I'm not the joking one. I'm not the one to be played with. I'm not. I'm not your mother. I'm not your grandmama. I'm Yahweh. I uphold the universe. I'm the one that say you die and you live. That was not Pastor Reed's call last week. That was Yahweh's call. We don't know who it is that we worship worshiping. So that's why when I come to this subject matter, it's not about what I like. You'll hear that next week. It ain't my deal. It's what he says. Because I'm going to have to stand in front of him and I surely don't want to stand in front of him playing around thinking that I could have done what I wanted to do. Even when it just seems like an accident. He reached out, the ox stumbled, and he touched it and God killed him that moment. Page 1234 and I end here. I want you to think about this all week as we come back. I'm be done here. Give me two minutes. Promise. Revelation 21. I shared this with Dion. It says in new Jerusalem that God is building for his people called the bride. So here it go. Let me read it. 1234. And I want you to ask God all week, why are you doing this, God? Here it go. Then came out of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you here again, marriage language, the bride. Beginning of the book, end of the book. God refers to his church, the bride. What's a bride? Who's the groom? Okay, I didn't write it, you got to ask God, why are you referring to her as the bride? And why the first thing you do in Jesus, is a marriage. And then you give us all these marriage terminology throughout the book of the Bible. And is, is that there is that by happenstance? Is it there by osmosis? Is it there for a reason? I don't know. This is why I want you to pray. But then watch what happens here. He calls it the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The place where you and I will all be. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, please read this slowly. Because I want you to ask the Lord in prayer about this. On the names of who? The 12 tribes of who? Sons of Israel. Can I be, those are men, masculine names. And for all of eternity, when you are in that city, you're going to wake up and you're going to see all those names. The question is why? God hate women? He made them. Let's keep going. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the twelve three gates, verse 14, and the wall of the city had what? Twelve foundations, and on them were the who? Who were the apostles? Male or female? Why is God doing that? Here's the thing, for all eternity. And let me end here. just came to me. When you see Jesus, he will appear to you like a man. Please understand that Jesus is a man-man. God-man. Beard. Why did he come that way? This is the stuff I had to pray to God about. He could have done this thing any other way he wanted to. Why did he do it that way? When you hear him, he sounds like a man. That's the one we worship. That's the one we give allegiance to. He's sitting on that throne. He's not emasculated. He's a man. He's a God man. He's eternal. And he does this. And this is what the guy is saying. Type on. But why? We're the wife. He's the groom. We come to him. We submit to him. He leads us. I don't lead. Listen to me. Here, as pastor, I don't lead Jesus in nothing. I only do to do his will. Not my will. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. And there's a lot of stuff that Jesus tells me. Let me be honest. If it wasn't for Jesus telling me to come to Fairfield with blown up houses, I would have never come. I didn't come to Fairfield because it was me. I came to Fairfield because he who sits high and looks low doesn't play games. You go where I tell you to go. You speak what I tell you to speak. I submit to him. Well, Lord, I don't like it. If you don't have no Emily service. Did I stutter? <laughs> so when I got here, I in. Brother, come to Bessemer. Nope. Why Fairfield? Nope. Jesus told me to go to Fairfield. Come to Huntsville. Nope. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. Go to the Mount of Galilee. He, he's not very vague on these things. But for some reason, we early we Christians in the 21st century, we think we can hear Jesus say, I say go to Fairfield, but no, I want to go to Huntsville because it's new. That's where Michael Bourne and Sims live. I want to be up there It's nice and clean. <laughs> they got less gunfights. fights. going to go to Charlotte. Pretty, big, nice buildings. It don't work that way. You go where I tell you to go. You do what I tell you to do. You submit unto me. I'm the groom. You're the wife. And we get into that next week, it's going to make a lot more sense. Why God is using the language of marriage, the bride, the groomsman, etc., And it's not there by accident. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit www.academy.org urbanhopecc.com